0: So it's been 600 years, 600 years, and in 600 years, there's this constant overtone of grief, of waiting, and of this deep, deep longing. Since the temple was destroyed centuries ago, This is the temple where the nation of Israel met God, like God himself resided in this temple face to face with his people, but it's been destroyed for centuries. And in that time, Israel's been waiting for a moment, like a moment in history. Their ancient scriptures and their prophets have foretold that this moment was coming, that it should be expected, okay? It's kinda like that, Um, that vacation that you're planning. Now, that that, that vacation that you just can't wait for. Maybe it's not on the calendar yet, but you know it's going to happen, right? And all of that looking forward to, you can actually picture the, the stress just melting away, the hard things about life just being set aside as you set out on that destination. And when you arrive, everything's going to be good, Kind of like that. And so for 600 years, every Jewish man, every Jewish woman, every child knew to wait. They expected a day when God Himself would come back and bodily return to earth. He would rebuild their temple. He would chase their enemies out of their country. He himself would take the throne as Israel's true and rightful king. Everything, would, everyone would be liberated, everything would be restored, and they couldn't wait until that day came. However, as you might imagine, have you ever waited 600 years for something? All right, you probably felt like it. Um, after a long time, you kind of just kind of set things on autopilot, don't you? I mean, because by this time, after six centuries, there is a a mixed ideas about what really would it look like when God reestablished his kingdom? What would it really look like? And and when he sent the one who would inaugurate and begin that kingdom reign, when he sent that person, who was he gonna be? And what kind of leader would he be? And truthfully, would any of it change your circumstances in your life anyway? But they waited. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, felt that way just about faith. I mean, any of the stuff that we've been singing about and talking about. Have you ever felt that way? Like what does faith really look like? I mean, what, what should it really practically look like? And to be honest with you, does it really change anything? And in 600 years, that's when you hear for the first time, Jesus brings good news. Jesus brings good news. When Mark sat down to write a narrative of Jesus's life, he did so with a very specific purpose. There was something that Mark wanted his readers to know and to understand thoroughly, all right? And the reason that we are going to read through the book of Mark in this next month together, all right, is because we're not looking for information. Information never really changed anybody, but we're looking for transformation. So as we read the book of Mark this month, we're looking and asking God to transform us. We have a couple of tools for you during this month as we kick off this series today. One is we are, we're, we're selling uh, Mark, journals, all right? Now, now, we did this last year with the book of Luke, and we sold at White Oak like 500 of these. I mean, you guys just ate them up and they were gone, all right, so it was awesome. So what these journals are is they actually have the book of Mark printed in them, just the book of Mark from the Bible, with a place for you to take notes, write prayers, write things that you're learning, you can write notes. Okay, so, so th- they're out there today, and we're gonna have them throughout the series until they're gone. All right, you could pick one up, a great tool. Inside that journal, we have a bookmark that has a reading plan for you to read through the book of Mark this month. Now, I will tell you, this is good, good news. Mark is by far the shortest gospel in the Bible. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen, all right? Mark was really brief, all right, but super specific. So you can actually read through the entire book of Mark a few times in a month, easily easily, all right? So there's a bookmark with a reading plan inside that journal. If you don't want the journal, you can just grab a bookmark. They'll be in some places at the Hub and on table here. You can just grab the bookmark itself. We want to get those tools in your hand. We're reading for transformation and can't wait to get started with you, all right? Mark was a companion of the Apostle Paul and a friend of Peter's. Mark knew Jesus, but it is widely believed that Mark will write the Gospel of Mark as he's writing Peter's firsthand experience with Jesus. So Peter, so Mark served essentially as Peter's secretary and his, his, uh, his scribe, he wrote down Peter's memory of following Jesus. I want to read with you here in just a moment. Now, what I want you to know is that what Mark intends, you'll notice throughout, there's always language of urgency in Mark. The story's always moving along with an active pace. Because Mark wants to reveal what hundreds of years of mysteries about God's kingdom is about to be revealed. It's about the, like the, the curtains being torn back, the veils being torn off, all right? And the mysteries of the kingdom of God, Mark says, is available to the reader through faith if you read and believe, all right? So we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 1. Where else would you start, right? Starting with verse 1. And I, of course, marked the wrong page in my Bible. That's really... Convenient. All right, Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 1, we'll go through verse 8. This is what it says. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice in the one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message, after me will come one more powerful than I the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. First, I wanna to talk to you this morning about who Jesus is. Who does Mark say Jesus is? It matters, okay? The opening verse is the only place in his book will Mark tell you what he thinks. The opening verse mark is the only place in the book where mark tells you what he thinks about jesus the rest of it he gives you jesus's behaviors he gives you jesus's actions he gives you jesus's words so that the reader can determine what it is that you think about jesus all right but this is the first words that he uses he calls jesus the christ also messiah and the son of god jesus christ is the messiah and the Son of God, all right? So we're gonna look at that. I can remember um, as a kid, I grew up in church all of my life, and and we would sing these songs, or we would read these passages, and all of these names of Jesus, right? I mean, and there's just so many. Um, Things like the Lion of Judah. And as a kid, you're like, well, what the heck? As an adult, you're like, what the heck does that mean? All right, Lion of Judah, is that lion? Right? Or, or Son of Man. Like, what does that mean? You know, but you sing these Redeemer. I don't know, you know, as a six year old, what, what does a Redeemer mean? You, who knows now, right? So, so as a kid, you're, I'm just a wrestling, but there's all these names. You, we, probably there's people in this room that could say, like, I was about now years old when I realized Christ wasn't Jesus' last name, right? <laughs> and if I just revealed that to you, it's okay, all right? It's okay, it's not his last name, all right? But, but we don't know, I mean, but you know, titles, okay, it's confusing, all right? But I will tell you this, the title of Messiah meant something to Mark's Jewish readers. They knew exactly what it was supposed to mean, the Old Testament passages, the, script, the Old Testament scriptures, in many places foretold of a of one, a person who would come with God's power, who would deliver God's people. Okay, so they knew that was coming. And among the Jewish people by Jesus's time, there was a variety of thoughts about what this Messiah figure would look like, all right? So just like there's many denominations and factions within our church in America today, right? There was a lot of Jewish thinking about what this Messiah exactly would look like. So some thought that the Messiah, the the Savior, would be this anointed military leader, okay? Who would come, and, and combat and power and drive the Romans and the sinners out of Israel, okay? And some Jews waited for that, okay? Others believed that one, one would come with this transcendent supernatural power that would in some powerful spiritual way restore things the way that they used to be for Israel. Okay, some thought that actually the Messiah would actually come in two different figures, Okay, one would be a priestly Messiah who would rebuild the Jewish temple and bring God back and, and allow God to come back. And the other Messiah would be, would be a king type that would rule Israel, okay? And still yet, some Jews thought that he would just be, the Messiah would, be, would truly just be a king. He would take Israel's throne and he would rule not only Israel, but eventually all the nations of the world. But there was one, if you could summarize it, what was the the unifying expectation that every Jewish man and every Jewish woman believed was coming? What was the unifying thing that they believed this Messiah would do? That was this, that there was a future hope in every Jewish man, woman, or child for a royal deliverer who would liberate Israel, purify their nation so that God could return in justice and power. And they waited. Messiah is a loaded word. It triggered, it was a trigger word. And when Mark's readers first saw him use that word Christ, that title Christ or Messiah, they knew exactly what it was that Mark was insinuating about Jesus. Now the truth is, Messiah, Savior, Christ, okay, all meaning the same thing. That's a trigger word for you too and for me. it it evokes something, doesn't it? Like it kind of stirs you. Now, it might just subtly trigger you when you hear Messiah. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. All right? You follow Jesus. You've said the words, I believe, right? You hear it and you say, yep, I believe that. I submit to that. Whether, Whether or not it has transformed you, I don't know. But it's a subtle trigger word for you. You say, oh yeah, I believe that. Okay. Now, others for you, it actually triggers maybe something negative. Oh, I mean, sure, you've heard people say, you've seen the bumper stickers, you've seen the people posted on Facebook, Jesus saves. But for you, he hasn't saved you from your grief. He hasn't seemed to save you from the hurt that other people have caused in your life. He hasn't saved you from the negative consequences of decisions or actions. Now, others of you Um, Messiah, Jesus saved, Savior, Christ, it's a trigger word because you just don't consider yourself religious at all. And you're like, I don't believe that. No, that's ridiculous. That's that's pretty ancient and pretty ignorant, to be honest with you. But the truth is, there's not a person in this room who isn't religious. We're, We're all very religious people, every single one of us. I mean, your faith may not be in, in let's, let's just take Jesus Messiah and put him over here for a minute. Your faith may not be in Jesus Messiah, but it's in your portfolio. It's in your sexuality. It's in your career. It's in your relationships. It's in the attention that you receive from social media. You see, we're all looking for a thing to liberate us from, from the, the, the life that we're not 100% satisfied with. We're all looking for that thing that will make it better, right? To give us an identity, purpose, hope. See, we're all, we're all we, we all have hope. We're all very religious, and it doesn't have to be in any religion that has a title like Muslim or Christianity, but our religion says, your religion, my religion says, okay, we put our hope in something that will one day undo, right, all of the wrongs and make everything right. Did you know how religious you really are? Oh, you are, and so am I. Jesus brings good news. There's another title that Mark uses. He calls Jesus not only this this Messiah figure, but he also calls him the Son of God. Son of God, that's what he says. Now, to understand what that means, all right, you gotta understand what ancient Jews believed, all right? Ancient Jews were strictly monotheists. That means there was one God, not the pantheon of gods of the Greeks or Romans or other nations around them, one God. And this is what their monotheistic faith believed, that there was one God, who created all people and all things, okay? And he has a dynamic relationship with his people. He's not aloof and standoffish. He's interested and dynamically related to his creation. One God, right? That same God, this is what they believe, all right? Also identified the nation of Israel as his chosen people that would be a conduit of his saving activity for the entire world and, they believe that this one God one day would return, would physically come to Earth, reign, in, rebuild the temple, reign in the temple, forgive Israel's sins, and make everything right again. That's what God meant to Israel. So, for Mark to use the title for Jesus, "Son of God," not just saying that Jesus was sent by God or that he was. God-ish, but to actually claim that he was God himself returning, that was insane. It was ludicrous. But that's exactly what he's hinting at. See, Mark reaches back to some ancient scriptures, all right? He's reaching back like to, to like 900 years before Mark was writing this, all right, to the ancient prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 was like the, the scripture that Jewish hope was like based in, all right? When the prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 40, starting with verse one, listen, Isaiah says this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard services has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. Isaiah said, someday he's coming, someday he's coming. And so Mark points to John the Baptist. Now when we read that out of verse chapter one there, just a few minutes ago, Mark points to John the Baptist in their present day, as the one that Isaiah spoke of. The one who would prepare the nation of Israel, get them ready for when God was gonna come back. And so as Mark's saying, and John the Baptist is this one preparing the way, what you expect, what every Jewish reader would have expected, who comes on the scene then after John the Baptist? God himself, right? God himself, but that's not who shows up on the beach. On the banks of the Jordan River, it's not God who steps into the scene. Who does Mark say steps onto the scene? It's Jesus. Surprise. All right? Mark 15. I'm sorry, not Mark 15. Mark 1. Mark 1, I'm going to pick up in verse 9. At the time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So why is Jesus good news? Mark's given us a pretty solid argument for who he is. So why is he good news? See, Jesus' baptism does something for Israel. Now, you have to kind of be Jewish to appreciate this passing through the water moment, all right? But we can appreciate it, and I'm gonna tell you why here in a moment. Jesus, by being baptized, goes through like a new exodus, God has loved throughout his word to use the symbol of passing through water as a symbol of leaving something old and entering something brand new that changes you and leaves you different. When he led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, do you remember what he did? He had Moses part the Red Sea and Israel passed through the water into onto dry ground to a new life with their God. He did it again when the nation of Israel was getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land, this land that would build the nation of Israel. God backed up the waters of the Jordan River and had them walk across. They were leaving one bank and and, and entering another one completely different, a new nation with a new, renewed relationship with God. See, God knew, I think, in baptism, that just like he'd been doing for so many centuries that you and I would need a moment, right? That you and I would need a water moment. I mean, how many of you feel like right now, you need a rescue? Like I just need a new start. I need a new beginning. Man, I just need to, I need something to happen in my life that reminds me, that shows me that I'm not this person anymore, but I've been transported to something new. Like some of us need to leave behind a lot of stuff on the other bank. Addictions, self-centeredness, greed, pride, confusion, despair, Loneliness, apathy, anything sounding familiar to you yet? And God gives us, you and me, through baptism, this, this moment that marks a new beginning for us. I mean, it's not that we talk about this as we do baptisms here all the time. It's the... It wasn't the water in the Red Sea or the water in the Jordan River. And it's certainly not the water in any baptismal pool you'll ever find that does anything in and of itself. It's just water. But what God does is he gives us a symbol in a moment in time, a historical concrete moment that says, you are passing through into a new existence and you will not be the same when you come out on it. You will be transformed. You'll be changed. God knew we needed that moment to secure an identity and a purpose, let me tell you, church, that is far more real and permanent than, than, than the scraps and garbage that this culture gives you so that you can carve an identity and purpose out of it. So Jesus is baptized. And in Jesus's baptism, he is anointed into a new royal role. See, Mark's not an idiot. He knew that when Jesus was baptized and he included it in his narrative, what that would trigger, all right? That God is assigning Jesus a name. This is my son. This is my son. And before he does anything else in this ministry, before he speaks a word, before he heals a sick person, before he does anything, I am pleased with him, why? Not because of what he's done, not because what he believes, but because he's my son. He's the servant king. Mark's saying, this is it. This isn't just your Messiah. This isn't just our Messiah. This is God himself returning to do all the things that he said he would do. Forgive sin and renew relationship with the entire world, with God. Look at verse 14 and 15. After John, John the Baptist, was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And Mark, this is Jesus' first words spoken. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. N.T. Wright, uh, a biblical scholar, um, I love the way that he paints Mark, in the, in this, and he says it like this He says, He, meaning Jesus, certainly intended to enact, personify, and symbolize that climactic event in Israel's centuries long hope. Jesus was acting out his vocation given to him by God, whom he called Father, to accomplish all that God said that he would do. Now, let me ask you this. If Jesus had the audacity to claim that, what kind of good news might he have for you? So here's what it means for me and you. Mark sets us up in chapter one, the first of your first verses, and here's what it means for you and me. Mark's gospel, it's fun, it's fun, was not, it presents Jesus in a way that nobody expected it to look like. Nobody saw it coming. And it turns out that faith in Jesus insists that you and I today manage our expectations. 600 years of waiting. And faith requires you and me to manage our expectations. See, we are in desperate need of good news, aren't we? I know you are. And I'm not just talking about culturally or politically or sociologically. I'm talking about you, your household, your life, your heart. Desperate need of good news. And it breaks my heart when you look at the statistics that that happiness in America has been on a steady decline for 40 years. And in teenagers... Something in 2005 to 2007 happened. Teenagers since 2005 have been in a steep decline in happiness and a huge uptick in depression and suicide for teens. It just happens to be the year that the first iPhone came out and social media was burst onto the scene. See, our expectations haven't changed, have they? We all want to be wanted. We want to know that we have purpose. We want to know that somebody cares about us. Like we want to know that someone's willing to go the extra mile to rescue us, to, to deliver us, to free us. That there's something that's better than what I'm experiencing now out there. That if there is a God, I want to know that he cares about me. See, our our expectations haven't changed. It's our pursuit of various things that might fulfill them. That's what's changed. We've been made for a different kingdom, guys. That's what Mark sets you up for. We've been made for a different kingdom. Now, Jesus didn't like step onto the, 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 the bank of the Jordan River that day to say, hey, let me introduce to you Christianity. It's gonna be this nice new set of moral actions and beliefs, you'll love it. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus, when Jesus came out of that water, he ushered in like a brand new, like he didn't just offer to change your life, he actually offered to convert you into an entirely new kingdom. Like you just, Jesus just doesn't change you. He removes you from the old thing and converts you to a brand new thing. He takes you out of this realm and he puts you in his realm. And that's what Mark says, this Jesus offers you. So my, my, my question for you today is knowing that in, 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 in reading that, will you even entertain? Will you and I entertain a thought that we have to re-engage this Jesus? that we have to rethink this Jesus. And some of us need to come to him for the first time or in a new way. Will you, in this season, as we walk through this book, rethink and reimagine and come to a new understanding of who Jesus is? No one in Mark's book found Jesus to be the king that they were expecting. The sinners thought that they would find judgment, instead they found mercy. And the religious were told to repent when they thought they would receive some sort of reward. So who do you think he is? You encounter Jesus in Mark's gospel very personally, you will. You will encounter Jesus, and my prayer is that you see him, that he is the answer to the longings of the human heart and the source and only source of fulfillment and freedom and liberation. And once you start seeing him in that way, you won't be able to help but tell other people about it. So let me pray. Jesus, you're not who we expected, but you're so good. Thank you, Father. Thank you for sending him to my undeserved, dirty, messed up life. Through your word, Father, may each one here, man and woman, teenager, see your son Jesus in a renewed way. And may you transform our hearts even as you've already started doing it. I love you. Amen.